Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. So glad to have you here with us today for episode 410 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, I'm going to be joined by speaker David Arvin, and we're going to be taking a closer look at what is working today, right now, for speakers to get booked and paid to speak. Now, as our world continues to readjust post-pandemic, there's a lot of opportunities for speakers, and we want you to seize it. We want you to capitalize on it. And so believe it or not, David actually spent his early years in the marketing world and at one point was asked to teach a college summer course. It was at that time that he realized the business opportunity that he had. And now 20 years later, he has really built something incredibly rewarding around what he loves to do most, which is teaching and speaking. Together, we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome, what it means to inspire from the front of the room, and also what it looks like to build a business versus getting gigs. Those are two totally different things. It wasn't until a friend brought this to his attention that David really realized that he he didn't have the systems in place for a sustainable business. And so during our conversation, he's going to share his own entrepreneurial journey and what it really takes to fill your calendar, perfect your performance, and create the right systems and processes to, again, have a successful speaking business. No matter where you're at in your speaking career, there's going to be something here for everyone. David's expertise, his experience offer timeless insight and action steps to help you build your business today. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation. Conversation with David Arvin. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Greg Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speak Lab podcast. And uh, today we are going to be chatting with keynote speaker David Avrin and uh, excited to talk about his speaking journey and also what he is seeing that is working today, not yesterday, not tomorrow. What is working right now for finding and booking paid gigs? So, uh, David, thanks for joining us today. Hey, it's great to be here. Uh, a perfect subject to talk about, certainly for your audience as well. Uh, because the world is opening up and the opportunities are amazing. We're taking advantage of it. I would love to see more do the same. Cool. Well, for some uh, background and context, give us a snapshot of who you are, who do you speak to, uh, what do you speak about, what does what your speaking world sure. look like today? You know, I was one of those guys that came out of the the marketing world in that I spent a lot of years, uh, healthcare marketing, uh, worked with a lot of national restaurant brands and others. And I was one of those people that was sort of asked, hey, would you teach a summer course yeah. at, at the university? Uh, would you come in and speak to our organization? And after working with uh, a fellow colleague of ours um, in Speaker Association, came to recognize, you know, just over 20 years ago, you know what, you can get paid for this. People actually, people actually pay for this. And it was a big revelation. But what was really funny was, and this was my, my great friend and colleague, Eric Chester, Hall of Fame speaker. And I did some PR for him over 20 years ago. And I remember asking him the question, all right, so wait, you make how much money for an hour? And what's really funny is his answer to me that day is the same as my answer when people say the same to me, right? Yeah. And he says, yes, that's true, but I don't do it every hour, <laughs> right? 
And so, yeah, we, we get paid what might to some look like a ridiculous amount of money, but we're putting in a, a lot of work in, uh, in not just the business part of speaking and the prospecting and the converting of the, of the speaking opportunities, but it's how many years of expertise, right. you know, I, I tell people all the time, speaking is not a business. Getting the gig is the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love speaking. That's just the performance. That's our concert. We love that part of it. But the business of this is really hard. And so sustaining a business, which we really fortunate that we've done um, in my office here for over 20 years now, uh, and my brilliant assistant has been with me coming up on 10 years next month. Um, it's, a, it's a long slog, uh, but really, really rewarding. And I want to get to some of that again, kind of what's working and how you've had a 20 year career, which like you said, is, is not super common in the speaking industry. Uh, so what, especially early on, you're talking with Eric, you're, you're, you are realizing like there's an opportunity here, but at the same sure. time early on, and probably still a little bit today, there's a lot of imposter syndrome of, you know, I, I, part of me wants to be up there, but part of me is like, I, I could never get paid that. That seems completely ridiculous. How so arrogant. I, I was going to say, how arrogant does it sound if I say I don't have imposter syndrome? I have delusions of grandeur. That's how confident I am. Uh, but no, of course, early on, this is, it is a business that nobody, you're not born knowing how to do this. Yeah. And we have, and let me take you back a little bit, but I'll sort of talk to you a little bit more about my journey. But we have a really interesting profession in that we are really one of the only professions is those who speak and teach and, and inspire from the front of the room one of the only professions where most people got into this profession because they were encouraged by somebody who has no idea what this profession is. Oh my God, Julie, you have got to tell that story. Right. Oh my God, you are, you are, that is so inspiring. You should go, you got to go speak your truth, right? You have to go, are you kidding? How about this? How about if you pay your mortgage and feed your family? And so what I learned early on in this business, and we're, we're happy to address all this, and to be clear for everybody listening, it is not in lieu of your passion, but it's not because of your passion. We can talk about that. But early on in my journey, I was really fortunate that, um, you know, I've been on stage much of my life. I, I sang in a band early on and, and I did theater and things like that in college. So I was always really comfortable, but I started teaching. I mean, I was teaching from, from the front of the room. People would ask me to come in. I was PR director at Children's Hospital in Denver at the time. And they would ask, would you come and speak to our group or whatever else? And I learned from professionals in this industry what it takes. And my first couple of years, I did pretty well. I, I had a new book out, which was called It's Not Who You Know, It's Who Knows You. And that did really well. And I was the phone was ringing. I was doing pretty well. And so this is probably, oh God, 14 years ago. And I'm at a National Speaker Association event. It's a Sunday evening and I'm sitting out with some friends out by the pool. And I was talking about my business <clears throat> and my, my good friend and colleague, Hall of Fame speaker, Dave Horsehager, he looks over and he says to me, dude, you don't have a business. And I'm like, what do you, this is like my best year ever. He says, no, you have gigs. Mm -hmm. Don't confuse that with a business. And I said, what's the difference? He says, what are you going to do next year? I said, what do you mean? He said, what's your revenue going to be next year? I said, well, how the hell, how do I know? And he says, exactly. You don't have a process in place. How are you finding contacts and turning them into leads and mm -hmm. leads into prospects and prospects into paying gigs and paying clients? He says, you are so headed for a fall. I have seen speakers do seven figures and two years later, they couldn't pay their mortgage. Wow. And Grant, I will tell you, I didn't sleep that night because he was right. I went home, talked to my wife, found a way to invest in an assistant to help put that process in place. 
And so we spend a lot of time um, prospecting. Mm-hmm. We look, we go through lists of associations. We, we identify who would love what David Avern has to say. And we know when to pitch them. We know what to say is part of that pitch. And we have a whole process for when we follow up. And to be clear, we don't automate anything, anything. Everything is personalized. And people are like, well, doesn't that take? Well, yeah, of course it takes time. But for what we're compensated and the role that we play, it's absolutely worth it. And someone asked me once, they said, how are you converting such a huge percentage of the pitches? And I said, I don't think we are we're just pitching all the time yeah and we get and and we're we're looking years ahead and so we talked a little bit about sort of a sustainable business and so that's what i did as a result of that conversation i put the processes in place and we work very very hard on pitching prospects well i think that's also again a a misconception outside looking in that someone assumes okay you've had a successful 20-year career you are paid significantly well for being a speaker so it's just easy for you you the gigs Mm. just fall in your lap and uh certainly there's a there's a a lot of momentum that you have from past gigs and referrals and just having some name recognition but the point being that you still have to work at it you still have to put an effort and you know if you turn off the spigot like gigs eventually will will kind of peter out and well, you'll quickly. stop you'll stop getting you'll stop getting booked <clears throat> yeah i think they will quickly peter out uh, i let's be clear i'm not a celebrity most people who are listening or maybe looking me up david Averin, who is like you have no idea who i am i'm good at what i do you're good at what you do a lot of people are but if you are on Shark Tank right now as one of the, the sharks, you're not having to spend a lot of time looking for gigs, right? People yeah. find you. But part of the, the key to our long-term success is we never stop marketing. We never stop. Now, probably half of my, my engagements come from somebody who saw me at another engagement. Mm-hmm. But fully half, Grant, half of, of our gigs are from outbound pitches of somebody to someone who had no idea who I was until we reached out to them. Um, I've got staff that I have to pay as you do as well. I I got three colleges I'm paying for right now, and that's coming up soon for you, my friend. Um, But no, it's not enough. And when there is, you know, we're looking at the calendar and we've got some really sparse times. We look back eight to 10 months and say, what was happening? Did we stop pitching? Did we stop? Um, This is a business. Like I said, speaking is is not a business. Getting the gig is the business. And we treat it like a business. And we get up in the morning and we go to the office and we're talking to clients and we're writing articles and we're recording videos. Um, I, I think the biggest lie, and I think it's an inadvertent lie, but the biggest lie that's told to aspiring speakers, we lose to the business thousands of great, wonderful messengers every year because they believe the lie that said, if you have passion, if you have a story to tell, if you have, um, if you, you want to make an impact on one person and, and speak your truth, you can make a living. It's just not true. Now, that said, if you can connect your expertise and passion and wisdom and experience to a problem somebody's willing to pay to solve, there's the magic formula. And I think people misinterpret me sometimes and say, it's, it's, it's not in lieu of passion, but passion doesn't get you booked. It's taking that passion or that expertise, like I said, or wisdom. And if you can use that to clearly solve a problem that an organization has or a business or an association, 
and be convincing from a marketing perspective, you get that opportunity to get on that stage. And it's really, it's disconcerting. I think there's enough business for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's sad to watch so many people leave this profession early because they're starving. And that's why organizations and for what you do and the people that you teach and train, you're helping to connect that wisdom gap that people have. It's not about your passion um, or the fact that you survived cancer or you lost a limb. I mean, bless your heart, not mocking it in any way. Yep. What did you learn? I love the line that says, don't tell us what you've done. Tell us what you learned. Yeah. Right. And apply that towards business. Yeah, we, we tell speakers all the time that the you you uh, conquered cancer, you climbed Mount Everest, you won a gold medal. The reality is, is that might help you 5% to get your foot in the door, but the audience does not care. They want to know, what does this have to do with me? Right. How does this impact me? Is this going to impact and change my life, my family, my marriage, my job, my profession, whatever it may be? And so what do you say to those speakers early on who, who are, are going... Uh, I'm just trying to figure out what those first steps may be, because oftentimes what we feel like we need to do is we need to, I'm looking for any opportunities. I'm looking for any at-bats. I want to spread sure. the net as far and wide as possible. Uh, you need me to speak on that? Yeah, I can speak on that. Do you need me to speak? Yeah, of course I can speak on that. Cause we're just looking for anything to get some traction and momentum. Sure. So how do you kind of balance that in terms of what you're passionate about, what you know, something about what you're an expert on versus just the, I'm, I'm just looking for at-bats and I'm looking for reps. Right. Well, and I, and I think you understand this as well. I mean, I think part of it is we have to take a couple of steps back and get over ourselves, right? We, we haven't cured, we haven't created the cure for cancer that tastes like chocolate, right? We're a messenger. We're a teacher. We have something to share, but you really have to take a step back and say, is somebody willing to pay for me to share this information? Right. I I, I'm telling you people who are listening for this right now, nobody is going to write you a check for $10,000 so that you can have a cathartic experience and live your truth and your passion on stage. But they will write that check if you'll use that to solve a problem, right? So to get back mm-hmm. to your, your question about how do you start, I think you start by becoming a student of the industry. Mm-hmm. If what is your subject, your broad subject, maybe it's within leadership, with it's within sales or emotional intelligence or marketing or whatever that might be. Look at others who are doing what you do. Don't steal what they have, but be inspired. And don't assume that everybody, just because they're out there doing it or they're promoting it, that they're successful at it. But see what a really good video uh, preview looks like. Look at somebody else's marketing materials. Look at their course description. A lot of people, I, I remember there was a, this was just a couple of years, uh, a couple of, of weeks ago, sorry, on, on Facebook, on one of the speaker sites, somebody posed a rhetorical question that if you could write a book or deliver a speech that just touched one life and really made a difference, would it be worth it? And of course, there's this rash of people, of course, of course. And I was, you know, poking the bear. And I wrote, if you only touch one person and change your life, you are horrible at this. You're out of business. Quit, quit now. You are, t- if you're in any other business and you failed with everybody but one, you're fired. Yeah. So the way you start is you take a step back and you say, what's, what's my message? How am I differentiated from others who are doing the same? Who with money would be willing to pay to hear this? And then it starts crafting that, that presentation. What's that structure? And there's no shortage of, of, of places to look, right? It's three points in a poem or tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. I mean, there's lots right. of ways to do this right. And here's the thing. 
you don't have to be great to make it in this business. You have to be good. And, but you have to deliver something of great value. I know people, we know people who are reasonable speakers, yeah. but I mean, knocking it out of the park with wisdom and insight and research that we had not heard of before, but people get really caught up in the mechanics. We saw this a lot during COVID. They got so caught up on how many cameras they have and what's their switcher. Meeting planners don't care how many cameras you have. They want to watch you on screen and say, are they good? Can they deliver a message? Right. right? And so I hear people at times saying, I took a three-day boot camp on hand gestures and I can't get the phone to ring. Pick up the phone. <laughs> Nobody cares about your hand gestures. Nobody cares. I mean, so many people are overcoached. You know what the best speakers teach what they know? Yeah. Right? How do you think about the overlap between what you are passionate about, what you're interested in, what your knowledge belongs, what your expertise is, and then actually what people are hiring speakers for. Cause there has to be an overlap because like you said, there has to be just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean anybody cares. And there's also, it's also bad advice to just say, what's the most in demand topic. And then how do I just jump in that lane? And so how do you find what that right balance is between the two? I think you're dead right. I mean, first of all, you look at the two extremes, those who are just looking for what's hot. You yep. have no credibility to speak on that subject just because you decided to. Uh, I love the line that says, we have the only profession that has written more books than they've read, right? <laughs> Very true. And so people are writing, but they have no expertise. It doesn't mean that you don't have value and it doesn't mean you can't be inspiring, but motivational speakers are struggling. Yeah. Um, companies are looking for ROI. And then on the other end of the spectrum is somebody who's so niche and they're so excited. I have developed the only system where people can actually work out in their chair and it's going to lower your healthcare costs. Right? I'm the only onstage dog polisher. I can polish dogs and nobody else is doing it. Well, do you know why nobody else is doing it? Because nobody needs a dog polisher. I just made that right. up. I don't know if that's a good example <laughs> or not. But, but Grant, you're right. It is a, it's a melding of the two. So you look and say, what have, have I earned the right to teach about? Right. What have I earned the right through my life experiences, through my traumatic experiences, or through my education or research? What have I earned the right to talk about or speak about? And then this is the overlap. You have to find a broad category to be in, but you have to find a unique niche within that category. So if you're doing something that doesn't fit into leadership, sales, um, future marketing, I mean, there's so many right. different things, right? That's what meeting planners are looking for, right? I'm not talking bureaus. I'm saying like somebody from an organization from Hilton Hotels, and they're having a big conference. We need somebody on leadership. We need somebody on culture. We need somebody on sales. So they're going to look within those categories. But then within that broad category, you have to stand out, not by being outrageous for the sake of being outrageous, but something that makes somebody go, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What's your unique insight? Um, uh, Jason Dorsey was talking at their most recent National Speaker Association event about unique research. What's yep. your aha moment? What challenges conventional wisdom? This is daunting for people. And if you're listening right now and you're an inspiring speaker, or an early speaker, um, this is work. But my friends, it is so worth it. And the people who aren't willing to do the work, um, who do the cliches, who get on stage and tell stories that have been told a hundred times, like the starfish story or something else. Um, they have very short careers. Yeah. And yet there are wonderful people and wonderful storytellers and sages. Uh, 
And if they're willing to do the work, and I know that's something that you do with the speaker lab, that you teach them that process, they have a really good chance of impacting a lot of lives, not just one, yeah, um, but a lot. And uh, they have to be willing to do the work. But you're right. It has to be a melding of the two. It's got to be a, a subject that people are looking for, but a unique take. Right. It can be a unique solution, but it can also be a unique diagnosis. Right. Everybody says it's this, but it's really this. Yeah. Now, one thing uh, we've referenced a few times on the on the show is the in the book uh, E Myth by Michael Gerber. He talks about yes, that. He it. uses the the illustration of a bakery, and he talks about the skill set of being a good baker, of making good bread or cupcakes or cakes, whatever it may be, is a very different skill set than running a bakery. And that is very very true whenever it comes to speakers. There are speakers who are amazing on stage, but really really suck at running the business or uh, finding the gigs. And so, oftentimes, most speakers are good at one or the other. It's rare to find right. speakers that are good at both. Um, and they're out there, but it's not common. Most speakers uh, tend to avoid the business. We just assume like if I'm, if I'm, my talk is good enough, if my message is good enough, if my website's pretty enough, if my video is right. sharp enough. If I can get I, signed on with a bureau. Totally. How do I find right. a bureau? How do I find an agent? Then gigs just magically fall into my lap. And so one thing you kind of alluded to earlier of you have to get good at running the business and the business means being able to consistently find and book gigs. And so walk us through your process, you know, sure. again, looking out a few months and again, you kind of alluded to it where it's not going, I need something uh, next week. That's you're, at that point, you're six, nine, 12 months too late. Right. So what's the process of going, looking ahead? We want to fill the calendar. What does it look like for you? Sure. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. And I don't think it's some are good at one or the other. I think almost everybody's good and, and focuses on the performance part mm -hmm. and very little on the marketing part. And this is not easy, but when you create systems and process, and once again, not about automation, but here's how we find contacts and turn them into leads. And so our process, and I'll be honest, um, we actually have extra people. And we've got some people overseas who do nothing but do research for us. And they're searching association lists. And we created this rubric that says, okay, here's the association. When was their last meeting? When is their next meeting? Who were the speakers? So I can get a good sense of the, what fees that they're going to pay yep. if I recognize some of the names. Um, when we know, and I'm going to, I'm going to give big secrets here that are, that are really, really valuable. You can't just pitch organizations when you get a contact, they will normally book when there's non-pandemic time, eight to 10 months out. Yep. So if you look to see that they have their annual meeting every year around mid-May, you're not going to pitch them right now because they're knee deep in the details of their upcoming presentation or the upcoming conference, right? Yep. Your stuff will get lost. So we always pitch 30 days after the end of their last conference, mm -hmm. right? Because then they're starting to talk about next year's conference. They're starting to pick their committee for all of that as well. So we have an initial pitch letter that we send via email that says, um, I work with David Averin. I know you got this, you've got, we pitch a specific meeting, you know, for this organization, he's got a compelling message. If you want to skip all the rest of this, click here, you'll know in three minutes if he's a good fit. Mm -hmm. Right. And we send that out. And when we do it, we put in our CRM system, we use karma speaker right now as our CRM. We put a note, a task that, um, one week later we do a follow-up. We get three times the response to our second email as we do for our first email, because yep. we referenced it. We sent last week, hadn't heard back, blah, blah, blah. Some people doesn't mean that we get a lot of people saying yes, but enough in the top of that funnel. 
And so we'll reach out three times. If we don't get a response or no, we stop, it goes back in and we pitch them again next year. Um, this last uh, January, right before COVID actually, we booked three gigs that my staff had been working on over three years. Yep. Now to be clear, it doesn't mean that we're pitching every day, but we tried. And finally there was somebody on the committee where it hit, where there was a title that somebody thought we are planting seeds and planting seeds and planting seeds, and we are watering them and watering them. And yeah, it's work. But if you went to work at any other corporation, you'd be working as well. And so if they respond, then it sets a whole nother course of we, uh, we respond, we try and set up a, a bomb bomb, which is a, a mm -hmm. video. Well, I'll send a bomb bomb, which is a video message from me. We yep. try and set up a zoom call with me. Um, our conversion rate, when I do a bomb bomb, which is a the video email, if you're not familiar with it, inappropriate yep. name, but a great service. Um, we're about 87%. Wow. That will get now granted. These are people who've already responded that they're interested, but this yep. gives me a chance to say, here's what I know about your industry. Here's the deliverable. I'll make you a hero for bringing me in, right? Or saying, let's have a conversation. So we're always nurturing, but nothing falls through the cracks because we have a CRM system, that customer relationship management. Speaker flow does a great job. Mm -hmm. um, even Salesforce is probably a little robust for, for our needs, but we are pitching, we're following up. We're trying to set up calls with Dave and, and we love them up. If I know that I'm under consideration, we're sending them a signed copy of my book. We're inviting them to a Zoom call. Uh, there's a lot of people, they, they send it out. It's the uh, send out and pray, or they say, hey, I was able to send out, you know, 4,000 of them with one click. You're not going to get response yeah. because we hate spam. So why would you spam somebody else? Yep. So we do them one at a time. We look them up. We get a sense of their thing. So we're referencing their event. And, um, and we've had a great measure of success, but we never let up. And when we do, we suffer. Yeah. Um, and that said, there's times when we've pitched and we're three, four months in with very little response and realized that it was a, a keynote title that didn't resonate. Yep. And and as that's on me, right? I get so overconfident. Oh, I've got this, this great new idea. Doesn't always work. So sometimes you can do AB studies and send out some. So in short, the process is we're sending emails, we're pitching, we're following up. Everything is in a system so that we know what days we're supposed to do it, but we don't automate anything. Yeah. And I've been very fortunate to have a, a, a long career and, uh, because I've, I also learned that my kids like to eat every day, like mm -hmm. sometimes multiple times a day, Grant, it's, I didn't realize this was it's ridiculous. Yeah. I can't, I can't stop. Listen, I would, I would need everyone to go back, rewind two or three minutes here and listen to all of that. Cause that's just, it's very simple, but practical. It's the one thing that we talk a lot about. A couple of things I want to highlight there is having that long game mentality. So you yeah. mentioned like some uh, events that you would follow up for multiple years, I've had the same experience. And sometimes uh, I remember early on in my, my career, if I didn't get a gig, I'd be so pissed. They, they went with someone else. That's ridiculous. I'm better than them. But then I realized like, well, that speaker they just picked, they're not going to pick them next year. So there's exactly one fewer right. option. And eventually they're going to be stuck with me because they don't have anybody else. Well, especially so if you knew you were one of the finalists mm -hmm. and they chose someone else, yeah. right? 
you know, my, my, my team is as measure of their compensation is on commission. Cause we're out selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say, Oh, they chose someone else. They said, we're going to have you next year. And I go, well, that's fine. I got to pay my mortgage next year too. Yep. Yep. Indeed. But then having a system to follow up with it. And so again, I think that that's yes. something that you've done really well is most of the time speakers make the mistake of, well, Hey, when next year comes around, I, I hope you think of me. They're not going to think of you. They're not going to think of they've you. They've moved on. And so you right. have to put it in your system and having a system in place, whatever that system may be, but you have to put it in your system that, okay, next, you know, October, 2024, that I'm going to follow up. And I said, I'm going to follow on up. a specific date. It pops yes. up on your calendar. Do not use yellow sticky notes, friends, right? You know, <laughs> it is, but it becomes part of, um, I, I, some people are really resistant to some of the, the CRM set. It was really hard for me as well. And I, and I learned early on, it's not about doing more. It's, it's about doing what you're already doing differently. And that if you're already making the call and you get done with the call, type in your notes. Yep. If they say, reach out again in June, you, you assign a task on June 4th. And then on June 4th, it pops up on your calendar. You don't have to remember it. Yep. It just, and that transformed my business 10 years ago next month. Yeah. Transformed my business. Now, most speakers, again, especially early on, we're going, uh, you know, it sounds like you've got a handful of people that help you with this. And I don't want to be prospecting and reaching out and emailing and following up. And all this sounds hard sure. and difficult. And what's the easy button? And I want a bureau or an agent or someone else will, that will do all this for me. What would you say to, to that speaker who, you know, for better or worse, is looking for that shortcut? Sure. A um, couple of things. Number one is don't compare your chapter two to my chapter 12. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was there. We were all that person who was new at the beginning. Um, well, a couple of things. And these are things that you know, and you're nice to give me a platform to talk about these things as well. Um, first of all, bureaus don't get you gigs. That's not their job. They're not prospecting. They're taking calls. Now, it doesn't mean that the bureaus are, are awesome. I have wonderful bureau partners, but their preference is to book celebrities at twenty, thirty thousand dollars um, they will recommend you if somebody calls and say, Hey, I'm looking for somebody, if you're a good fit, yep. but they're not doing outbound prospecting the way somebody who works for you is. Now, here's the thing. The first 10 years I did this myself, the first six months, my assistant worked for me. I didn't let her get on the phone. I made her sit next to me for six months. Mm. So she could hear how I communicated, how I pitched, how I understood what meeting planners were looking for, how I wanted to be a safe choice in their eyes. Nobody will sell you better than you. Yep. Nobody will. So don't think that it's something you can outsource. I just need an agent who will go, it's not going to work. And people go through agents left and right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I learned this from, from W Mitchell many, many years ago is if you, when you have an assistant, you have to compensate them. They can't be on pure commission. Um, my, my assistant, Tiffany, who is brilliant and wonderful, and she's family now, she's been with me for 10 years. It was six months before we calculated that she made enough back to reimburse what I had already paid her, mm. right? We are planting seeds. Most organizations work eight to 18 months out. And so you can do this on your own. It was only because I was growing that I had an opportunity to scale my business and add another person. Don't hire anybody unless you you have enough in the bank to pay them for a full year, because that's not fair to them that if you're starving in three months, you got to fire somebody. But to answer your question, you can do this. Treat it like a job. Be at your desk by eight o'clock in the morning. Say, I'm going to spend 
two hours every day, say it takes you 10 minutes to research any particular prospect, get them in the system, and then send a pitch. Maybe you don't send a pitch because, but you put a task that you're going to pitch them in three months. But if you do two hours every day and do maybe four or five an hour, that's 10 in a day. That is 50 in a week. That's 200 in a month of people who had no idea who you were before, but now has heard about you, been pitched for you, been able to see your video, which is a whole other subject. You've got to have some footage. They have to see you do what you're doing. So you're a safe choice, but just two hours a day of research and pitching by email. Nobody likes to be called cold. That's 200 in a month. Say you convert two of them, Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, you have to discipline yourself, but you don't need assistance. Don't use that as an excuse. And you cannot outsource it at the beginning. I had a, stuff that take you time. Go ahead. I had a, a mentor tell me early on, like you have to fall in love with the process. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like going to the gym. Nobody's excited to, to get up and go to the gym and lift weights. It's painful. It's tiring. We want the end result. I just want to stand on stage. I want to look good in front of a mirror and, and uh, you know, that, those sort of things, but right. we have to fall in love with the process of doing the work. And I got to a point personally, I don't, I don't know about you. I almost enjoyed booking the gig more than doing the gig. Like the thrill of the hunt of just going after I, I chased, I chased, I chased, we got it. We landed it. It was a big gig, a national stage, a big keynote, whatever it may be. I feel like we worked really hard to get that gig. And, and you're, you're right. You touched on this earlier. Like so much of the business is not on stage. So much of the business is sales and marketing to book exactly. the gig. Exactly right. And I'll tell you, I don't love the process. It's agony for me. Now, part of it, I earned the right after 10 years to have people help me with the process. Sure. Um, I've got people in the Philippines who I, who I pay well and treat very well, um, who just do the research part that I don't like. You know what I love? I love talking to clients. Yeah. Um, I love talking to prospects in that final stage, whether it's over a Zoom call. I mean, my gosh, look at this great opportunity. When I first started, we were sending out DVDs and, um, and one sheets. I haven't yep. used a one sheet in seven years. I've never had a, I haven't had a client who's asked for one in seven years. Your website is your one sheet right? Yeah. Tells everything about you, but they have to see what you're doing. I love the part of the process where they're in the process of deciding and I get to have a conversation with them face-to-face over Zoom mm-hmm. with them, with their committee, with an individual. I mean, look at us right now. I mean, most people are listening audio, of course, but, but Grant and I are looking at each other face-to-face. For my parents, this is magic, right? For us, it's Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So there is no excuse for speakers to not be able to, to give the best pitch. Here's what I do. Here's what I talk about. Here's how I tailor everything. Here's what I know about your industry. How do they not hire you? Yeah. yeah. Right. Very true. I want to shift gears before we wrap up here. Sure. Uh, when we started talking, you, uh, you mentioned some of your feelings and thoughts on virtual speaking. And now that the pandemic Ugh. is starting to wrap up, uh, or hopefully has wrapped up uh, to, to be determined, virtual speaking, you know, when the pandemic hit, it becomes the only game in town. Absolutely. It was we the, all made the pivot. Yeah. Everybody leans into it. Uh, now that live events have come back more and more, now we're kind of in this limbo spot of is virtual going away? Are hybrid events sticking around? Uh, some speakers are doing both. Some are abandoning virtual. Sure. Some are going all in on I virtual. Am. Yeah. So how, yeah. how are you? How are you thinking about where does virtual fit in in the industry, but also for well, you absolutely. specifically? Absolutely. And, and, and I'm probably going to not make a lot of friends here, but here's the honest truth: virtual conferences are horrible. They're horrible, horrible, 
horrible. Now, to be clear, it doesn't mean there, there aren't a few bright spots. It yeah. doesn't mean that we as professional speakers, but if we're one out of 30 speakers and most of them are agonizing, I mean, my God, at what point did the slides become the star of the screen or uh, yeah. star of the show? There's a huge slide with four words on it and you're tiny in the corner. I'm like slashing my wrists under the table. They're horrible. And people are like, but you have this great background and you have this, this screen behind you. And like, I, I, I can't believe you did all that. And I said, I can't believe you didn't. How are you feeding your families? Right. The reality is unless everybody started being better at it, um, it's not the future. It's not, or at least not the immediate future. It doesn't mean that hybrid won't be an element. It yeah. doesn't mean that there will be, but it's not 50, 50 friends, five to 10% of people will log in pay a different fee for the conference and watch it virtually. But we know when we get back together as a conference, and I'm not just being self-serving here, that serendipity of the unexpected conversations that happen in the hallways, right? Mm -hmm. Being able to, to touch the, these virtual trade shows, horrible, horrible. Now, to be clear, kudos for those who did what we could, right? In the video production, the people who are touting this virtual hybrid future are video production companies who make money on, on virtual. You tell me, all of you listening right now, you tell me a virtual conference that you loved. Kill me. They're terrible. Now that said, I'm pretty darn good at it, but I don't <laughs> like it. I did 87 virtual presentations during COVID and I did nine of them between 1 and 4 a.m. because they were international. And once again, people are like, I can't believe you did that at three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, did I not say that this feeds my family? Yeah, yeah. We do what we can and you have to get good. And here's the other thing. It's, it's, wait, Jen, Jen, Jen yeah, you're on, you're on, you're on mute. <laughs> oh, look, look, Tim's got palm trees behind him. That's so funny. He's like, he's on an island. Guess what? That's so funny. Guess what, Tim? It's not funny. It's been two years, friends. Why do people suck at this so much? It's been two years. Right. Sorry. I get all I get all worked up about this. But even that, like like the in-person stuff that, you know, that's where you and I connected recently at an event, yeah. just again, serendipitously out in the hallway, a mutual sure. friend, Phil Jones connected us. Uh, and, and again, it's it's hard to duplicate that in a virtual environment. And it, it's, yeah. it's just- It doesn't it's mean there the won't same. be an element of it. And sure. virtual meetings are great. Multi-day conference is horrible. Yeah. And you know what? Audiences won't put up with it. So that said, we have to be good at this. Yeah. Right. We have to be good. I have, I, people are, I send it over and they say, so um, send us your slides. And I said, well, I don't send my slides. And they said, no, when you share your screen, I said, I don't share my screen. I have a 65 inch flat screen behind me. I got a Walmart and I run my slides on the screen behind me. I stand up just in front of a webcam. I don't have multiple cameras. I don't have switchers. I have a really cool virtual backdrop, not where I am right now. Um, and I stand and do my presentation like I would otherwise. Yeah. Nobody cares about anything other than, am I engaging? Is there great content? You have to get better at it. We're not participants on a Zoom call, friends. We're supposed to be masters of communication. So two years in, let's get better at it. That said, it's going to be a fraction of our business. A fraction of it. Let's uh, let's wrap up with this. For you're talking to David 20 years ago, who's getting started and, and trying to figure things out and trying to put the systems in place and just grinding it out. Uh, what would you uh, What would you say to that, that David, uh, based on what you you know now? Um, a couple of things. Number one, stay fresh, um, keep learning. Um, just because a story kills 
-hmm. you know, oh my God, they, they, I mean, they're just, they're on their feet, they're laughing, whatever else. Doesn't mean you need to tell that story for 20 years, but early in the business, um, and I think you would concur, the most important thing you can do besides having good subject and content, you need video, 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 video. You have to record everything that you do. Um, if somebody says, yeah, we don't have a budget, you know, could you speak to our chamber of commerce? We'll say, um, yeah, but we, I'll tell you what, I'll do it for whatever or free if you'll have a professionally videotaped. Every chamber of commerce has a members who are video production companies. Yeah. Um, there's ways of there's ways of find a local church, um, find out the night when there's nothing going on, pay 300 bucks to their youth group and do 15 minutes on stage of your best stuff, shooting you without showing the audience. Mm -hmm. Say cut, go backstage, change your clothes, move the, the plants, move the cameras, do another 15 minutes. There is nothing unethical about that. They need to see you speak. Yeah. They need to see what you do. Nobody's going to take a chance. Mm -hmm. So early on, it's the biggest challenge. Find venues, find stages, even if it's not real and do your best stuff. Yep. And then when you, when you get a really great gig, then you replace some of the less great stuff with better stuff. Your video is your sale, biggest sales tool, and it needs to be a living document. Um, I'm about to redo mine completely here in a couple of weeks because I just did a whole bunch of new gigs and got great footage. And so that'll be my current um, demo as well. How but many demo I, videos have you gone through in your 20 years? Oh my gosh, probably nine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, over the years, completely different. And when, when virtual started, I had all this virtual footage of me gesturing with glasses. So I look really smart. I've got a whiteboard behind me and I'm writing on things. And half of those were fake, yeah. but it was me yeah. doing what I do, demonstrating to a meeting planner, I will knock this out of the park for you. Yeah. Makes sense. Very and good. now I'm not going to include any virtual footages at all because I don't want those gigs. That's awesome. David, thanks for the time, man. If people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, where can we go? Absolutely. Just look me up at davidavrin.com, A-V-R-I-N. This was great. Thanks was for uh, having me on the show. All right, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, I want you to know that we do this podcast simply because we want to serve and support speakers like you. We don't charge anything for you to listen, but in return, we do have one small favor to ask. Would you be willing to subscribe to the podcast where you're listening right now? Hit that subscribe button. Also, leave us a rating and review within iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to these podcasts. We read every single one of them, and they also help other people to find the show. Also, if you are looking to take the next step in growing your speaking business, be sure and check out thespeakerlab.com. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com. We've got a ton of free resources and tools there, and you can also learn more about the programs that we offer, which include one-on-one -on -one coaching. Our mission here is to help you find the confidence, clarity, and clear path that you need to own your speaking success. So again, check us out over at thespeakerlab.com. As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us and we'll catch you next time. You're awesome.